Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. A look at the Russian paramilitary group recruiting prisoners to fight in Ukraine. This is the State of Ukraine from NPR News. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has exposed many shortcomings of the Russian military, from logistics to leadership to training. It has also given greater visibility to a supposedly private company that has advanced Russian interests around the world, the Wagner Group. To get a clearer picture of this organization, NPR's Steve Inskeep spoke to Andras Ratz. Even before Ukraine, we had considerable knowledge about how the Wagner Group operates. And their activities in Ukraine has enriched this knowledge considerably. Many of them have been taken to prisoners. There have been sizable amount of signal intelligence received and then publicized about how the Wagner Group functions. Rotz is a senior fellow with the German Council on Foreign Relations, and he studies the Wagner or Wagner Group. The Wagner Group is formerly a private military company operated by an ex-officer of Russia's intelligence services, Mr. Dmitry Utkin. They first saw action when Russia invaded Ukraine the first time in 2014. Thereafter, Wagner played a key role in Russia's war in Syria. They've been active in several African countries, advancing and fostering their Russian state interest, the interest of Russian state companies, and also of some Russian oligarchs. You said they are formally a private military contractor. In reality, are they something else? In reality, uh, interestingly enough, the Russian law doesn't allow the existence of private military companies. So Wagner is registered abroad and not as a single entity, but as a complex net of shell companies. Wagner is more a proxy force of the Russian military, very closely connected to Russia's military intelligence. So it's more a foreign intelligence service proxy than a real private company. They played a key role in Venezuela in 2019 when Nicolas Maduro was about to lose his power. Basically, Russia saved Maduro's power by sending Wagner Group operatives to Venezuela, which operatives helped the Venezuelan president stabilize his power. Where did they get the expertise to do these things? Were these mostly former Russian military people? Most of them are former military. Many of them come from the Russian police, some of them from the Russian special services, a few of them from foreign militaries. There have been Serbian Wagner operatives. There have been a few French among the ranks of the Wagner. But most of them are Russians, and most of them are former Russian military, but not exclusively. Were they good at what they did? When it comes to fighting in, let's say, in African theaters or in Ukraine in 2014, so fighting against not too well-organized and not too well-armed enemies, Wagner performed fairly well. However, since last year, when they have to fight in Ukraine against the well-equipped, well-trained, highly motivated Ukrainian regular army, their performance level, of course, drops a lot. What has their mission been in the last year in Ukraine once Russia accelerated its invasion there? In the beginning of the invasion, Wagner operatives were tasked to neutralize Ukrainian president and part of the Ukrainian government. They sent sabotage groups into Kiev aiming at taking out President Zelensky. They failed in this task. Most of these sabotage groups were destroyed by the Ukrainians. And since summer last year, Wagner has been engaged in high-intensity fighting in the eastern Ukrainian frontline, 
primary around Bakhmut. I wondered at the beginning of the war how it was that President Zelensky was able to survive. And you're telling me part of the reason was the Wagner Group was not good enough at their job. Ukrainians were better. And you said high-intensity fighting. That sounds like a very different thing than a commando raid or some creative operation. It indeed is different. And Wagner has not been performing so well in this high-intensity fighting like they performed in their previous tasks in other front lines, in other theaters. This is particularly because in order to do high-intensity fighting, Wagner didn't have the necessary numbers. So since last summer, Russia facilitated Wagner Group recruiting tens of thousands of Russian prison convicts, criminals who were recruited from prisons and being sent to fight in Ukraine. The deal the prisoners received that after a short time of fighting, they were promised to get an amnesty, so their crimes forgiven and also some cash. And by these promises, tens of thousands of them were convinced, lured, persuaded in one way or another to join Wagner. In the end of last year, the rough numbers of the Wagner group were like 10,000 professional mercenaries and around 40,000 ex-convicts. Out of these 40,000 ex-convicts, by now, 80% of them are either dead or seriously wounded. So these ex-convicts didn't perform well at all in the battlefield. Well, let's talk about another aspect of Wagner's identity. The United States has now labeled it a transnational criminal organization. Do you think it meets that definition in terms of the way that ordinary people would use the words? To a certain extent, certainly, yes. I mean, Wagner Group has been engaged in large-scale systemic human rights violations basically in every theater where they operated. In Ukraine, it's documented that Wagner operatives committed outright war crimes. And Wagner Group and the service the Wagner Group provides has contributed also to large-scale siphoning out of wealth from several African countries, particularly via trading raw materials. So yes, I think Wagner Group largely fits the definition of a transnational criminal organization. It's indeed transnational and it's highly criminal. Well, this leads to one final question then. You have described this company that became an arm of the Russian state, a way for Russia to project power in Venezuela or Central Africa or Syria, any number of places. Is that Russian tool, global tool, now damaged or broken because of its failures in Ukraine? This particular tool is indeed damaged. However, I think that the Russian state will keep needing ambiguity. So the need for ambiguity is not going to disappear. Most probably, now that Wagner Group's ambiguity is gone, now that the Wagner Group is basically uncovered, Russia will probably set up other similar proxy organizations which will fill the void that the Wagner Group will leave behind. Andres Ratz is a senior fellow at the German Council on Foreign Relations. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to The State of Ukraine from NPR News. Please come back to this feed for more on the war and its impacts around the world. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR.